Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Bhutang Dhammang Sankang Namasami <clears throat> So today is again my turn to give a talk. Um, it's, it's always for me quite uh, difficult to decide about what I should talk because I start with one thing and then I start to read a little bit and then I think, oh, maybe I should talk about this. And it takes me a very long time. And uh, this time I, ju- I just said, no, I'm going to just stay with the first thing and I'm not going to do this jumping around. And so I have <laughs> I made the decision I'm going to talk about uh, right intention today. And as, as probably all of you know, right intention is one of the eight elements of the, of the Noble Eightfold Path. And in Pali, it's called um, Sama Sankapa, and it's there's different ways, you know, how it's translated in English as either right intention or right aspiration, right thought or right um, aspiration. Sometimes, so and they're all pointing in the direction of what uh, Sama Sankapa means and. It's basically, a cla- uh, according to the classical um, definition, how you find it in the suttas, what Samasankhava is, is just simply described on as uh, its thoughts free of sense desire, which means, you know, thoughts of renunciation, thoughts free of ill will, which means sorts of uh, goodwill or, or loving kindness, and sorts free of cruelty, which means sorts of compassion. So that's you know, the classic definition of it. And what I think, you know, what is important about right intention is that if we are not paying any attention to our intention, then we either, you know, going to just repeat our past programming or we receive new programming in, a, in an unconscious way from, you know, the world around us. Like, for example, you know, through advertisements, TV, entertainments, the politicians, basically, you know, what the whole world is kind of almost 24 hours, you know, kind of bombarding us with. And if we don't pay any attention to it, then it's still having an effect on us. Even the only thing is we don't know it. And then that's something which which has probably much deeper hold on us than we are, than we can be aware. But we at least, you know, we can do something about this by by trying to look behind, you know, the, our thoughts and actions and in our speech, basically, what is 
is driving us and what is driving our our lives basically and and I think all of you because you come here you'd have probably Dhamma somewhere there in the center of your lives otherwise I don't think you would have found your way here so that's a very good starting point you know having that as a center of the mandala of, of one's life is is a very good you know way to start to unravel one's uh, inner world and I brought a quote you know which is which you can find often in the suttas from the Buddha where he says whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon that will become the inclination of one's mind so and because you know we can be aware about what we are thinking and pondering upon we do have a choice you know in which direction our mind inclines you know does it we can make it incline into the direction we consider to be uh, desirable and it all starts by just looking into our mind as it is right now and and then we can discern you know if if the way we are thinking speaking and acting if it's if it's having a wholesome or unwholesome effect and then you know the result is either like misery or happiness and increasing freedom so most important is to just you know be aware what's going on and it's not about you know suppressing anything or forcing the mind in a you know in a in a way which makes makes those those um, intention go underground so to just you know try to paste something on top of it but it's more like a, a, an approach which is you know having compassion for oneself having goodwill for oneself and seeing the benefit of renunciation so the, the same you know qualities we'd like to bring out into the world to meet other people and other sentient beings and to meet life in general to bring them out also inside to our own uh, inner world because you know first we have to be able to meet our own inner world in a way which is uh, loving compassionate and you know understanding the benefits of renunciation bringing that to our own uh, inner world is the beginning because if we can't do it for ourselves is no hope, you know, that we genuinely can do it for other people. And so it all starts with, with uh, looking into our own hearts and minds. And so there's another quote which, which you know, illustrates that. Just looking, you know, and, and seeing, does this uh, intention, does this thought, does it lead to my own affliction or the affliction of others or to the affliction of both? Or does it add to wisdom? Does it not cause difficulties? And does it lead to Nibbana? And, you know, the three different kinds of thoughts I have been mentioning before. The first one is, you know, thoughts of renunciation, which means 
you know, understanding through observation that actually, you know, the freedom of, of not wanting anything is, is so much more um, peaceful and so much more, um, you know, leading to good qualities within ourselves than, than you know, the the heat which comes from if we can fulfill a, a certain want or a certain need for ourselves. And to, to see that uh, clearly needs needs a, a sustained application because I think it's uh, very easy, you know, to get lost in, um, in wanting and in, in that, um, you know, focus which we can develop. If you really want something, it can feel just very good to really strongly go uh, go after something and then get it and and it can it can you know give give us a feeling of uh, you know of being being in control and of being able to you know come to uh, an end with with wanting if we just you know keep trying, you know, to influence and manipulate our, our world in this way. But as the, as the Buddha very clearly said, you know, the, the, the end of, uh, of desire doesn't lie in, in fulfilling all our wishes and, and trying to manipulate the world, but it's, it lies in, in looking through it and, and seeing that this kind of, you know, it's, it's not leading to an end, it's not leading to any sustainable uh, peace. But it's the the letting go of of it all, you know, which 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 does lead to to the end of desire. And and I think if you or if myself, you know, sometimes when I can see that very clearly in the meditation, it's it rings, you know, very deeply true. But then in daily life, very often, it's it's just very easy to get carried away by it, to just completely identify rather than being able you know, to hold like a space around desire when it comes up in the mind. And you know, through, for example, you know, bringing the quality of, of goodwill to our own inner world, when we, for example, you know, get carried away with uh, a strong urge of wanting something or thinking we need to have this in order to be able to be, you know, leading a happy life. If we are able, you know, to just bring that uh, quality of, of goodwill towards that wanting, then we can, we can see that... Uh, What is behind it? And I think this is uh, what's, you know, what the Buddha means with, with looking into what our intention is. And, you know, to see if, if this desire which we have or this need which we think we have, you know, where does it come from? And I think you know that that is a, for me always a, a very good uh, stopper, really, because quite often you know I can I when I really look 
deeply into a certain powerful emotion when it arises if I if I look behind it you know what's the intention and you know quite quite sometimes it can be you know an intention I'm not aware of as before and then when I when I see it it can be quite humbling actually and and letting go is relatively easy but if I don't take that you know take that step of, of stopping and looking then uh, you know one thing leads to the other and 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 suddenly you know, one is very entangled in in a certain situation which is difficult to get out of so you know to, to take the time to stop and look really clearly behind you know some way of thinking I think it's very important to train ourselves to be able to do that and for example you know when we have strong desire or strong ill will arising in the mind that this is like a, an alarm bell you know to stop and 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 look and you know generally in the scriptures is also said you know to stop and look at, at ill will or you know thoughts of cruelty it's generally much easier to stop and look at it because it's uh, it's quite painful to have thoughts like that but to stop and look uh, when we have strong desire is is not so easy to do because you know the wanting itself we can be addicted to the wanting itself the feeling of of wanting something really very strongly it's quite intoxicating actually and uh, because it it somehow brings such a unified feeling to the whole body and mind which can be quite enjoyable actually and it's often even not so important you know, to get what you want but that feeling of uh, of desire itself can be addictive so it's it's a bit more difficult you know to see the drawbacks of it when we are caught in it because there's some element of enjoyment in it whereas if, if there's strong ill will or strong anger or something it it doesn't feel enjoyable at all even you know it's it's more um, kind of um, possible you know to do unskillful acts if we are caught up in ill will or cruel cruel thoughts it's easier to to stop once we you know we become aware of it whereas with desire is more difficult I have observed it in myself I don't know how it's for you but for me it's like that and also speaking about uh, thoughts of cruelty you know to transform them into thoughts of compassion I think you know it has a lot to do with how much compassion we can bring to our own pain because I think as it is really very very difficult you know to listen or to be open to be empathizing with other people's what they are going through if we are not able to have empathy with our own pain and And to just you know see how much those two you know me and and the person I meet how much 
uh, we are interconnected in that because we all share the whole range of the human emotions and uh, all other you know things which can happen to human being we all share that and if we can't really receive our own uh, emotions it's impossible to do it for other people and the only way we can do is to just numb out and and be indifferent and you're just uh, not able to to hold uh, dissonance, to hold uh, strong feelings, you know, if somebody else is uh, coming to us and, and uh, wanting to maybe share with us or wanting to unburden him or herself. And I always remember my, my first teacher, Ajahn Buddha Dasa, his pictures here on the wall. He was always starting his Dharma talks many years ago in Thailand. He always started his talks with dear friends in old age, sickness and death. I always found that very startling. And mm-hmm. in the very beginning of, you know, when I was listening to talks, I found this was a pretty amazing idea to say that. I've never thought about that, you know. That, yeah, that we're truly all friends in this. And uh, how often, you know, we are not aware of that. So coming back to right intention, how important it is, you know, to ask ourselves where we are coming from, whatever we are, you know, in, in very small ways, you can you can bring that into your life. I mean, you can do it 24 hours a day. <coughs> it would be the best thing. But maybe, you know, it's a bit far-fetched for the beginning. But I think we can really bring it into situations which we feel are challenging <coughs> for us as a, as a skillful means, you know, to, to start to decondition old responses and old ways of responding to impulses you know which which you start to to see that certain situations trigger you or trigger me in a certain way so it can be very good to to just before we go in the situation where where that might come up again to just really reflect on the intention and what do I want to bring into the into this situation? That can be um, a skillful means, you know, to try to to turn the mind around, and and to put in a little bit of an extra an extra effort. And you know, sh- just becoming aware that what we experience through the senses. Is, is just a part of, of what we are basically taking into the equation because a lot of it is, is also how we are, how we are, what we bring to the experience itself. So how we are receiving the experience, it's, it's um, the quality of the mind. And, and to just see this is basically an interplay between 
the information we receive through the sense organs and where we are coming from inside. And then we mix it all up into a kind of a perception and and to just try to sort out, you know, what we are bringing to the situation and what, what the situation itself, uh, you know, delivers in the, in the moment. And once we, we see, you know, that we are bringing a lot to every situation, then it becomes very clear how important it is to to look where we are coming from, what we are bringing to the situation. And this is where you know, we have all the actually power to to change what we are experiencing and to change how we feel about people, for example. Because you know, it's our choice if we want to focus on to you know the annoying elements of somebody, or, or we can focus on the good elements of somebody. It's totally up to us. And this is how we can uh, start, you know, to to turn to turn our intentions around, how we are meeting situations and how we are meeting people, and that can be done totally consciously through. Uh, just reflecting, for example, on the good qualities of somebody. And I've just recently, I think I've heard that somebody saying that psychologists made, made tests with, with little children, with toddlers, they were not even two years old, to just investigate how about, you know, general goodwill and, and loving kindness in people. And they were doing tests. Uh, the the scientist he was or he or she was having a, having several toddlers in the room. They were I think 19, 19 months old, and having a, a, a clothesline. And he he or she was hanging up clothes with clothes pegs, you know. And then sometimes the, he let a peg fall down, and the little toddlers were just going there and just. <laughs> Or he was stacking up books, you know, and then sometimes a book would fall down. And the ch they were just 19 months old, you know, they would just crawl there and try to make Very, very sweet. But when he did it on purpose, you know, they wouldn't help. <laughs> so that was really amazing. He was just, sometimes he was just doing it, you know, like really not on, per he was playing, of course, you know. And sometimes he would just do like that or something with the book, and then they wouldn't help. <laughs> So just to see, you know, it's an inner quality of of a human being. It's an inner quality of awareness itself, and the only thing is we have to un uncover it. So it's not something you know which we have to kind of create within ourselves, but we have to uncover it because it's overlaid, you know, by tons of conditioning and you know certain untruths which we have been, you know, developing over lifetimes or at least in this lifetime, you know, through early childhood experiences or whatever. And to uncover it by uh, by seeing, you know, the underlying intention for what it is and and turning it around by by digging deeper. And I found it very heartening with the toddlers, you know, because nobody ever told them that they should, you know, help to pick up 
clothes pegs or something. <laughs> so it was totally natural for them because it is already present. And, and the same with compassion. It's already present, but because of, you know, life experiences and, and you know, also indoctrination, you know, being flooded with so much information about shopping and buying and, and so thousand things, you know, we, we tend to become numb and also just confused, you know, and, and disconnected from this very good uh, qualities which are innate in awareness itself. And we, we can, through, through skillful means, through reflection and uh, meditation and, and stopping, really, we, we can connect with those qualities. I think, you know, you have all probably heard in, in the Pali Canon, they are called uh, four immeasurables or divine abidings. Like the first one is, is metta or loving kindness. Second one is, is karuna, compassion. Third one is mutita or sympathetic joy and equanimity, upeka. So those four qualities, you know, they are, they are innate in awareness itself and we have to lay them lay them open by but through the practice you know and all you can say or i can say you know that all all the teachings of the buddha all together the 84000 teachings how it said you know in the end they all will lead to those qualities and and lead to enlightenment and those qualities are you know, through laying laying them bare by by letting go of more and more of the conditioning, they they start to shine forth more and more. And it's just like you know, if you look at the world, at the situation we are in, it's it's kind of it's kind of yeah, a bit a, a huge uh, chaos and. It's kind of amazing, you know, how, how can that be if this is our innate qualities which are always present, how, how can we do all of those things, you know, which we are doing as, as human beings on the planet? It's kind of mind-boggling, I must say, but it's happening. So, they are, you know, this all coexisting at the same time. And, and through a practice we can uh, have a say, you know, which qualities we want to make stronger and which we want to let go of. And it's a, a, like a power, you know, which we can take in our hands, we, we can do that. And, you know, the scriptures are full of, of suggestions how we can do that. And, and reflecting on, on intention is just one way. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely not enough to just trust, you know, the one own experience in terms of, you know, what we can discern with our, with our sense organs in terms of what comes from the outside world to us. And then to just, you know, make up your mind. And if you don't look at the motivation which is from inside, then you have only the partial information. And I've brought uh, this book here with me, where, where there's a quote on that. 
This is the discourse, the connected discourses, the Samyutta Nikaya. And that's the... What is that? It's the, it's the, from the fourth book, from the Samyutta Nikaya. And it's called, Is There a Method? <clears throat> so, is there a method of exposition because by means of which a bhikkhu, apart from faith, apart from personal preference, apart from oral tradition, apart from recent reflection, apart from acceptance of a view after pondering it, can declare final knowledge thus. So, so basically, you know, in this, um, in this sutta, there's basically the question, is there any way, you know, that, that we can come to, <coughs> to final knowledge, which means you know, to Nibbana, basically. Is there any means that we could come to it apart from just having faith or relying on personal experience or relying on oral tradition or relying on recent reflection? And, and he says, the Buddha says here, because having seen a form with the eye, if there is lust, hatred or delusion internally, a bhikkhu understands thus, there is lust, hatred or delusion internally, or if there is no lust, hatred or delusion internally, he understands there is no lust, hatred or delusion internally. Since this is so, uh, this seems to be understood by faith, or by personal preference, or by oral tradition, or by recent reflection, or by acceptance of a view after pondering it. No Venerable Sir, and these things to be understood by seeing them with wisdom? Yes, Venerable Sir. So, you know, he basically says, if, if, you, if you know what, what is happening internally, that this is a way how, how, you know, the mind can be freed. So it is not so important, you know, what what is uh, experienced with the sense organs, but it is most important to know what's going on inside ourselves. And and then after we know that, then we can go and see, you know, the uh, what we experience with the sense organs. And there's also uh, another sutta, which is, is uh, I think, is a very famous one, and maybe many, most of you will have heard about it. It's the, it's the sutta where um, there's a king, I think, in, in Savatthi or somewhere, and he, he asks, you know, for all the men uh, in, in, the, in the town should be brought to him who are blind since birth and who have never been able to see. And then he, he, he uh, lets them all, you know, touch an elephant. Everybody of those men touches the elephant at a certain point. One touches the tail, one at the ears, one at the trunk, one at the legs, and so on. And then afterwards he is asking them, you know, what have they seen, basically, with their hands only, because they can't see, but, and what, what, what an elephant is, basically. 
and then everybody, you know, of course, says a different thing. One person says, an, who touched the tail, says an elephant is like a broom, and one <laughs> who touched the ears says an elephant is like a winnowing basket, and another one who touches the elephant at the head says he's a water jar, I think. Another one who touches it at the at the belly says he's a, I think he says it's a, Storehouse for grain. <laughs> <laughs> All of those, you know, funny things. And other one who touched the tasker says, or task, task, says it's a, it's a iron rod, I think. So many different opinions. And of course, you know, everybody only saw a part of the, uh, of, of what an elephant is. And, and then they start to fight with each other. And and the you know and the king basically is satisfied with what he sees because he just wants to basically prove you know if people have only like a partial experience of of what there is and and they don't look inside what motivates them then they'll end up with with uh, fighting with each other and as they say in the scriptures so beautiful you know to strike to strike each other with verbal daggers. I think this is a very nice thing to express it. It is very apt. And so because, you know, even, you know, we have all of the, the six senses and it looks like, you know, we can, you know, take a lot of information in, but still it's far from uh, from being all there is. So it's it can only be partial and it's only very shallow. We can't see really very deeply. So if we don't look at our motivation behind, then we only have a very partial outlook, and and because of that, you know, we are creating what we're creating as as human beings, and and there's you know, I don't know at any time how many wars are going on on the planet at the same time. I think it's forty or something. Mm-hmm at the moment. So it's always like uh, there's always a lot of um, things going on because everybody insists on their partial you know, outlook of things. And we can't do anything about that, but we can do something about you know, our own uh, contribution to this mess. And you know, looking at, at the intention behind uh, why we are doing and saying and and going ab- how we are going about things is is a is a very good beginning and it's it's not difficult to do actually mm-hmm. and i i have you know i know that i very often kind of uh, succeed with it necessarily but if i really do it um it, it has a, it has a very quick effect actually. It can be very sobering, and you know if you have experienced you know how a how a whole kind of big upset can can be pierced just by quickly looking at the intention, it, it just can collapse very quickly. Then it it turns out to be a very effective tool actually. Even it can be quite um, humbling, you know. But it, it works, and and I suggest it to you to try it yourself.
Also den als end by mentioning three uh, no, uh, one more time the, those three kinds of thoughts. The first kind is, you know, to replace thoughts of um, of sense desire with thoughts of renunciation of of letting go and thoughts of ill will to replace them with with thoughts of uh, goodwill and thoughts of cruelty to replace them with thoughts of compassion or empathy. And as soon you know, as if, if we question our intention and we can see actually you know, the intention behind this emotion or the intention behind this, uh, what I'm trying to get through is actually not imbued with with goodwill, but rather with ill will, and it's not imbued with uh, em empathy and compassion, but rather with the opposite, then, you know, to just stop there and, uh, and drop it for the moment and just see, you know, if we bring in a, a different intention, if it's still there, if it's still something we really want to say, we really want to do, it might well not be the case. And then, you know, through that we can just cultivate different habits and, you know, to just uh, not be a victim to our habits, but rather start to, you know, create uh, skillful habits by cultivating uh, our intentions consciously. So, you know, if, if you have found any of what I've said useful, then please uh, take it with you and if you think it's not useful then please leave it here we going to clear it up tomorrow sadhu <laughs> <laughs>